Welcome to IT Visionaries, created by The Mission, your number one source for accelerated learning. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Ian sits down with Paul Chapman, Chief Information Officer at Box. In this conversation, Paul shares with Ian his thoughts on the future of work and how to build an ecosystem of innovation. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. The Lightning Platform is a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone is empowered to build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. We have a special guest in studio again. A lot of people in studio these days. We have Paul Chapman, the CIO of Box. Paul, how's it going? Going great. Thank you. So today we are going to talk about building an ecosystem of innovation and the future of work. So let's get into it. First question, how'd you get interested in in IT? Well, we're going back quite some time now, and I don't know if it was considered interested in, in IT back then. I was actually a COBOL programmer in 1987, so that's how far back we go. But I think really what it was, was at the time of the emergence of, you know, even the first sort of home computing devices, you know, the the curiosity, the interest in, in home computing. And later, subsequently, it was less about the hardware and much more about software. And I wanted to be a programmer and a software developer. And that's how I got started. And then what kind of led you recently into this role at Box and kind of how did it, how did you view taking this role and the opportunity that you were looking at? Yeah, well, I think a lot of the time when you when you transition into a new organization, it's typically a confluence of things that have come together to, to make it happen. And I was at HP at the time working on future state reference architectures for, for large enterprises. And what would the future state look like if you were able to reimagine? If you went out three years and you started with a clean sheet and an unconstrained view, what would, your, what would it look like? You know, as we went through that process, we had a lot of people working on, you know, reimagining what the data center would look like, what the back office, the front office, supply chain, manufacturing, logistics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And along the way, we were looking for what is the modern reference architecture look like? What are the platforms? What are the services that we would use? And we, we called this the, the draining of the swamp, right? We kept, oh, ask, we kept asking ourselves the question, what's left? What's left? And eventually we got to, to actually to content more specifically, unstructured content. And it was at about the same time that I'd had a recheck from Box, gauging whether I'd be interested in joining. Of course, I originally thought that Box was, we were using Box, but I originally thought that Box was much more of a file sharing cloud storage company, which is, you know, which is good, but rather sort of basic and tactical. But it was when I realized that Box were actually solving what I think was the last sort of remaining gap in that future state architecture that we, we opened up the conversation and one thing led to another and here we are several years later. You know, it's funny, we were just talking on a previous episode about kind of some of those things that might not be problems now or maybe are niche problems now, but things like how do you share a four terabyte you know, piece of data instantaneously. Like, how do you collaborate on that? How do you collect, you know, th- these sort of things. And it's stuff we talk about in, in IT visionaries a lot, but it kind of gets at like the changing nature of work. There's going to be things that in the not too distant future, and like you said with content, 
that started changing, but the requirements for what we need to do as employees is going to change dramatically. Like what were some of those things that you saw that were kind of like triggers for that? Something that's also equally important outside of adding value to say the unstructured content that's in box. You know, we're doing a lot of things with machine learning and AI today and and so on. It is is this ever evolving world of of compliance and regulatory conditions. You know, that is a forever changing, ever evolving. There are new regulations this year. We were in the GD, GDPR space. Yep. European regulations, data sovereignty, safe harbor acts, you know, and every sort of region has data residency requirements and so on and so forth. So there's a compliance and regulatory piece to this, as well as adding value to the unstructured content. The ability to, you know, as you think about organizations that are global in nature, they're partnering with, they have suppliers, partners, they have a global organization, they're collaborating with people in Germany, in the UK, in the US, in Japan, and the ability to create these sort of seamless, frictionless experiences for collaboration is is critical today and, and it's critical for the future of work, I believe. So as the CIO, like how do you build this ecosystem of innovation? Like how, what are you looking at from your perspective? How do you have like buy-in from other executives to do this? Like what is kind of the, what's your kind of mandate that you look at this and say, how do I foster an ecosystem of different partners and people and vendors and customers and all of that into this kind of innovation landscape where, where things can happen at faster, you know, more scalable, more reliable and secure? Yeah, well, we're certainly surrounded today by just this sort of tsunami of innovation that's occurring. They say the slowest pace rate of change we'll ever experience is the one we're experiencing now. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's um, great and so this isn't going to slow down anytime soon. And how do we harness the, the the innovation that's going on around us and create experiences for our, you know, our employees, you know, customers, partners, suppliers, what have you? And so what we think about at Box is, is how do we make sure that we are architecting a modern reference architecture that's leveraging, you know, this sort of platform economy, the internet of APIs in a way that allows us to bring that innovation into our organization, therefore curate experiences for, for, for our organization. So we spend a lot of time focusing on you know, who are the best of breed service providers, you know, the things that generally don't strategically differentiate us. They're you know, these are services that are available to any one of us, but it's how do you architect and bring them together? It's it's much more about an interoperability of services versus, you know, going to any one provider to provide, you know, some monolithic set of services that they're the only ones that provide. Yeah. And like, what is the decision-making look like for that? Like, do you use mental models? Like, like how do you choose stuff? Because I know, you know, especially in a, an age where, you know, we, we talked about before we got on here about this idea between like hard ROI versus, you know, soft ROI or whatever it is. But you kind of, as a CIO, have to have mental models of like, how do you choose these different things to work on? And what are you looking at? What are you looking for? What type of innovations are you seeking out as you go kind of with your day to day? Yeah, I think a couple of things, you know, as we said earlier, one of the things that sort of traditional sort of investments looked at was what is the hard ROI on this investment? If I spend a dollar, do I get a dollar back or more? Am I retiring some technical debt? Am I unlocking some trapped value? What's the real quantifiable ROI? Today, a lot of what is being built is is built for speed. It's built for agility. It's built for productivity. It's built for efficiency. Things that tend to be a little less quantifiable 
it's not to say that there isn't sort of some hard ROI in here as well, especially if you're retiring some existing services and replacing them with new services. But we really like to think about how do we focus on creating an environment where our employees can be as productive as possible? How do we take the work out of work? How do we create frictionless experiences for our employees so they can do their best work? And so when we think about our investment in services, it's a lot about how do we invest in automation or platforms that allow us to automate, integrate, that are much more data-driven, that allow us to give us insights into how to make things better in our environment. So that's what we really focus on. And what are some like examples, I don't know if you can share some examples of things that you've done that have, have kind of, you've seen a way to maybe measure some of that success, whether that's like qualitative or quantitative? A few things. I think first off, we do measure what I would say sort of in a, in a traditional way, the number of sort of support sort of requests that come into the IT organization, the tickets, right? But what we do is we spend a significant amount of time, and this is a basic use case, right? I'm just talking about tickets as as a basic use case here. Understanding causality for why those tickets are even being created in the first place. And what is it? We take an outside in view, not an inside out view. It's not how fast did we respond and how quickly did we close and so on. It's much more around how do we eliminate going forward? How do we prevent these things from actually occurring in the future? And we've done a number of a number of things there where we've just drastically seen the codependency on the IT organization go down. It's like the harder we work to not be needed, the more needed we are. Oh, that's so funny. Um, and so uh, it's worked out really, really well where because of our architecture, it's allowed us to digitize experiences that could be anything from two-factor authentication of unlocking you know, password lockouts and things like that, that we're generating thousands of tickets on a monthly basis wiped out, gone. But wow. it's not just the fact that you don't have the codependency on IT anymore. It means that the person that was relying on IT to resolve something is being back to being productive as quickly as possible. We have, you know, those are the sorts of things that we, that we're doing. And so when you're going to leadership to try to convince them to make an investment, that's a significant amount of money or a significant, and not just, and I don't mean necessarily like money dollars, but also, you know, organizational equity, right? Like, Hey, we're going to have to convince the entire sales team to do blank or whatever it is. I know that's obviously, you know, a pretty big pain point for a lot of CIOs. Like how much time do I have to spend convincing the business to do this? When you kind of make those, like, what's your approach to that? What is your leadership kind of like, how do they view those decisions and and how do you kind of, you know, get to yes, for lack of a better term? Yeah. Well, I, I actually think that the, the model of the CIO saying these are the investments that sales should make in productivity tools for sales as an example isn't one that really works that well right now i think cio is a great enabler and even potentially a great introducer or should be actually not potentially should be a great introducer of you know new capabilities should be ahead of you know where sales productivity is moving i'm picking on sales just as a as as an example but you know any function you can you can extrapolate out to, and I think that it's a it's much more about partnership. It's much more about how do we recognize that there are ways to make the organization more productive, more efficient. Because at the end of the day, salespeople want to be spending as much time as possible on selling and less time on entering data and working with clunky tools, especially not ex- expense reports. Especially not expense reports, as 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 an example. 
So, so anyway, I think it's I think it's not so much about having to convince sales that they should use these things. You know, we're very big believers in introducing. You know, we're a very forward-thinking, innovative company. So, there's almost a, a sort of expectation that we will introduce, you know, some call it cutting edge or forward-thinking, you know, digital labor, machine learning into our environment. But we do it in sort of an experimental way and a proof of concept way that ultimately will may or may not lead to something that is more rolled out more widespread. You know, and obviously this podcast is called IT Visionaries, and you are the visionary sitting across from me here, but you also work with another visionary, and that's that's the CEO. When you are going to Aaron with these type of things, obviously, you know, he's very outspoken in, in the news about things that he believes in the future, and he's a technologist. How is that kind of relationship? I mean, you don't have to say, you know, behind the, <laughs> behind the doors, but I just mean, I mean, from the sense that as a technologist working with working with other technologists and working with a leadership team that clearly has a mission and a vision for the future. How do you kind of like, you know, work those types of scenarios? I would add he's he's uh, annoyingly right most of the time as well. <laughs> and there's no shortage of advice on how you can do your job better when you work with somebody who's you know, running a million miles an hour and is uh, you know, way out in front of where you are. It, it's actually great. I think it, it's really, really, it's great because when you work with someone who is really thinking about what the future of work looks like, what the future of sort of technology looks like. You know, there's somewhat of an expectation as well, of course, that we start to mirror that, right? You know, we can't be saying this is what we where we think everything is going and this is what it should look like. And then we look at ourselves and we can't hold up a mirror that that reflects that. So that's great from an alignment perspective in in that regard. Of course, I think sometimes the reality of how fast we can go even at a forward-thinking company like Box or an innovative company that's wired for sort of a faster rate of change, I think that you know we still have to run our business. We still have to take orders, and you know we still have to support our customers. And these things, as we've got bigger and more successful, you know you can't make change as quickly as we were when we were half the size. So I think the bigger challenge is is how quickly we can go. And and Aaron certainly spends a lot of time on thinking about speed and creating frictionless decision-making processes so that we can go as fast as we possibly can. How much time do you, I mean, not necessarily by percentage or anything like that, but how many, how is your time kind of spent dealing with technical debt versus, you know, like keeping the show running versus spending time with customers versus finding innovative solutions? How do you kind of structure your organization to look at those challenges? Yeah, it's a great question. And and something I think from a perspective standpoint, certainly have a, a good point of view on, given the fact that I've worked in more sort of legacy type organizations that were built at a different time that generally built up a fair amount of what you would call technical debt, a sort of legacy architecture. And a lot of investment in budget goes towards just keeping the lights on and running you know, the, the legacy environment, which gives less time to spend on things that I think add higher value, which in my case is getting closer to customers and, and closer to revenue and, and, and really closer to feedback. I think feedback is a gift and the closer you are to the customer or prospective customers, the more feedback you you get. And so one of the things about being in a born in the cloud company is you don't have that sort of legacy technical debt debt to operationally support. So a lot of things around the sort of you have the freedom from infrastructure, the freedom from hardware, the freedom from sort of the the service, the direct service management of the technology. So scalability, reliability, the backups, the failover, all of those things. And so what that does is it does actually give me back more time 
to go spend on what I think are higher value related activities. And that is getting connected to the external community. You know, there's a strong professional chemistry between CIOs and CIOs. There's a, you know, a strong uh, willingness to, to share and collaborate on things. And that actually creates a source of input into the way that the, the, the sort of technology community is thinking about the future as well. Things that I can bring back into the organization. You know, I don't know what I don't know, but I, in, through interactions and through conversation, it's not unusual for someone to say, have you tried this? Have you seen this one? We're just experimenting with this right now. And, and I do the same, you know, we're looking at this, we're, you know, experimenting with this and you get to learn what's out there in that ecosystem that other CIOs are actually experimenting with and trying out as well, which is great for me to be able to bring back to my organization. Yeah. I mean, what's it like being a CIO who works with other CIOs? You know, I mean, I think that there's kind of you know, obviously the, the world kind of gets broken up into tech companies and non-tech companies sometimes for better or for worse, even though, you know, we're all tech companies now. So it shouldn't really matter too much. But I think that there's there's also kind of this other split where you have like CIOs that are working with and selling to other CIOs and CIOs that don't. And I think that there's some level of kind of camaraderie there that's kind of cool and fun from, you know, what you've said and I've heard from other folks. But there's also kind of a, a sense of, innovation and looking for other cool things that is happening that I think is a little unique. Yeah, it's it actually is. I feel sort of fortunate and blessed that you know, I think that that's, that actually makes the role, it gives a different dimension to the role that's actually, a, call it fun or enjoyable part of the role. I think the reason why it works is that there's a appreciate, I'm a buyer of services and technology as, as well, right? It just happened to work for a technology company. And so you're able to have a more broader conversation about, you know, I've sat in the seat, I sit in the seat, I yeah. can appreciate there's a, there's sort of the ability to commiserate and understand as well as the ability to talk about and understand the challenges that, you know, different organizations in different verticals and different industries have different sets of challenges at any given point. Some of these are financial pressures. Some of these are, you know, the ability to, to attract talent. Some of these are legacy technical challenges that are trying to change. Some of these are transformation challenges. And the ability to relate and have those conversations is something that is easier for a CIO to have with another CIO. Switching gears a little bit towards kind of the talent side of things. You know, you've written about, you know, the pain of change is mandatory, right? How do you think, you know, folks can can grow their career in IT and and become whether it's leaders in IT or really high quality folks. What's a few of the secrets that you've seen yeah. in your career? Yeah, well, I'll add to your to your statement a moment ago about the pain of change is mandatory. It's the suffering that's optional. And then if you don't like suffering, you'll like irrelevance even less. Yeah, you know, if you go back to something I mentioned earlier, I was I was a COBOL programmer in 1987, and certainly constant change is the steady state. And as an IT professional um, in any role, if you don't learn to reinvent yourself over time, then you actually do become less relevant. You're like your own legacy system. That should be, oh, we'll do That's a blog That's actually post true, about right? That. That's true. You're yeah. your own legacy yeah, system. Yeah, I like that. You are your own legacy system. But I also think that that's actually what makes the the sort of the IT world, it can be quite sort of taxing or exhausting in the fact that you're under this sort of constant change to stay, stay relevant, but it's never boring. 
you know, uh, it's not like I'm doing something that hasn't pretty much changed for the last 20 years or 30 years. And so when I look back, you know, I think about all the things I've done. I was a Java programmer. I programmed in C, you know, I've done many, many different things. The ability to reinvent and stay relevant and have a, a variability in what you do is has been really a, a fun part of, it's not for everybody. <laughs> I will say that, but uh, I've enjoyed that part of it. So then what would you kind of say for folks that, you know, for those first time CIOs or first time VPs of IT, that what would you, what would be your big takeaways or your big lesson for folks stepping into those roles? Huh, that's a good question. I don't know if I've really thought about the big takeaways for the first time you step into it. I think most people that end up in the role, I think have already been sort of battle tested and have a certain amount of grit or scrappiness to the way that they, they, they're they able to deal with being knocked down and getting back up. Because yep. let's face it, you know, there's, there's uh, you can definitely have the villagers out with pitchforks aimed at IT when something goes wrong, right? And so you have to build up a certain resiliency to the fact that it's not personal. <laughs> Sometimes it can feel like that, that it's professional, not personal. And I think that most people that sort of step into that CIO role have done that because they've been in the, you know, they've been in these, these environments that have helped them to grow and learn and, and have broad perspectives on, on things. I think that the thing that I found probably the most important as a big sort of lesson, if that's as you will, is that you're the one now who has to be constantly thinking about where the organization is going, as opposed to being part of sort of following where the organization was going, right? And so there's no one else to turn to, really. You're responsible for that strategy. You're responsible for that direction. And how do you bring an organization along to buy into where you think the future is going, especially in technology where you don't actually, you know, because it can change or it does change fairly quickly. You know, that's that's a really interesting distinction. And I think maybe it's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast in the first place. But I think that it's about listening when you're in the leadership role and it's about finding inspiration about where the future is going because nobody really knows. But if you're cobbling together enough things, if you're listening to the market enough, if you're talking to both old companies and new companies, I think that there's a there's a misconception that like old companies are, are inherently, you know, boring or uninnovative. But if you've been around 150 years, like there's a reason why, right? Yeah. Like, and you know, I forget who said it, but somebody was famous for saying that basically like a company has a half-life a lot of times where it's like if it if it took you a hundred years to get there it'll probably take you another hundred years to die sort of thing so you know <laughs> ceos need to figure out where they are in that trajectory yeah. like did we just start dying or not but i think that it's really astute observation that when you're new in the role that a lot of times you need to look external to the organization to find that inspiration rather than, you know, just looking up to your boss. Because if your boss is the CEO or the CEO or whoever yeah. it is, it's like, obviously you're going to be able to pull a bunch from them, but they're not paying you to regurgitate their ideas. That's they're, right. They're That's paying right. you to find new ones. And I would, I would add, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking you have to, that you have the answers necessarily. It's And, and you mentioned about listening. And I think it's a very hard thing to do, but something I've certainly catch myself and practice as much as possible. I, I, I don't know if it's a habit just yet. I think it's a, it's a tough one and it's listen to be wrong. You know, it's very hard to listen to be wrong, but if you, it's not about tell energy, 
if you listen to the, I, I'm a big believer in sort of wisdom of the community and or wisdom of the crowd. And, and generally, if you're well connected with the sort of wisdom of the professional community, the answers are in there. Or directionally, you're not going to be that far off. Yeah, I mean, that, that really is why, why having IT visionaries talk about the things that they see, that they're seeing, the problems that they've dealt with in the past and how those inform things in the future is important you know, for us here at The Mission and why we created the podcast. But also, I think that a lot of times, like you just need to be able to step out of yourself and just say like, could I listen to what some other gal has gone through and and hear those sort of things? Because it might inform the decision that I'm, you know, I've been staring at for the past two months of whether or not I should buy or build or whatever yeah. the scenario is. What technology are you most excited about? Oh, for sure. That would be the machine learning and the AI capabilities that are really starting to come into fruition now. Some of the things that we're seeing in terms of just intelligence and speed and digital labor, that's you know the rise of digital labor and digital assistance is just, I think, almost boundless to to how it's going to help improve our our ability to to work and and, and do things in, in in the world today. So I would have to say what I'm seeing and and just the speed of how that's just in the last just. 12 plus months has really started to come into fruition. And probably, even though I'm saying that, it's probably still just the absolute tip of the iceberg as to what we're seeing. And as I mentioned earlier, the slowest rate of change we'll ever experience is the one we're experiencing now. So even though I'm excited about it now, which I, I think I'll continue to be, I think it's still tip of the iceberg. All right. Now we're going to get into the lightning rounds. I've not shared with you these answers ahead of time. Oh, the answers. Are... I just get the answers or the oh, questions. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Oh, that's right. Just the questions. Gosh, if I was giving you those answers, I would be a smarter man. So lightning round, fast and easy questions this time. Not like the hard ones from before. And the lightning round is brought to you by the lightning platform by Salesforce. Of course. It's fast and easy, just like lightning platform. Ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? An app called Relive. It's uh, do you want me to explain what the app yeah. is? Yeah. So we were talking about running earlier. Relive actually. So we'll take a, a recorded activity like a run or a bicycle ride or something like that from say Strava or your Garmin device and takes all the takes all the data from say from Strava and we'll create a 3D sort of Google map of your run. So you get to relive your runs. Oh, that's so um, that's yeah, really very cool. very cool. So as you know, as we travel around the globe and we end up in places that are enjoyable for a bike ride or a run, you get to relive those moments. Do they do that for AR VR stuff? Because that'll be killer. I don't know. I'd have to check on that. But that's fun. Yeah. Favorite time saving tool? Notability. Hmm. I don't know that one. Basically, it's the first app that I've ever used that allows me to go paperless. Very cool. Do you have any favorite? AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? I'm starting to get accustomed to some of the, the Google AI stuff that's sort of interweaving its way into my my calendar and my email Gmail. and Gmail and uh, completing sentences for me, suggesting responses, telling me how long it's going to take me to get from A to B and so on and so forth. The rise of that sort of digital assistant there is actually something that I've been watching and noticed it's incrementally getting more sophisticated. I don't know where that's going, but I'm actually starting to find that there's some there's some value in there for sure. It's really cool. And I love the 
the you know you hit tab and you finish the sentence mm-hmm. i'm a little worried that uh, all of my emails are being read and hopefully not stored yeah but- there's a sort of i was talking to someone about this just yesterday there's a little bit of sort of privacy or sensitivity on that side but it's sort of like in order for these learning algorithms to learn about you and your, your patterns it's like if you contribute you can get the value back if you don't contribute you can't get the value back. So it's a little mutually beneficial, I guess. It's what they do with your data and that's, yeah, it can be sensitive. You know, we had one of the team members at Oblong where they're creating conferencing rooms that are kind of similar to what was created in Minority Report and some of the other things using those technologies. And it always, every time I see those, the AI and the chatbots that do that stuff, I always think of Minority Report where the guy walks in, he has a new set of eyeballs and it's like, you know, it says the whatever guy's name is and he's a different race because he, you know, used somebody else's eyes. But I feel like that's that's coming where you walk in the room and it's like, hello, Mr. Faison. And you're like, oh, geez. And it has like different, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I, I don't spend too much time thinking about eyeball replacement, but yeah, your imagination could certainly run amok with what the future could possibly hold, that's for sure. Favorite team sports or otherwise? Favorite team sports. Well, I have to say that I'm a diehard San Jose Sharks fan. And go so Sharks. I would go Sharks was definitely for sure. But I've become a little bit of a fantasy football junkie in the last few years as well. So I would say football is becoming a popular pastime in my house every Sunday, that's for sure. And Favorite podcast or recent book? I haven't listened to too many podcasts recently. And books, what was the recent book that I just read? There was one that I actually kind of liked. It was called Uncommon Service. And it was it was about, if you think about the motivation for providing excellent service, the challenge is, is that you cannot be exceptional at everything. And so you have to conscientiously or actively decide what you're going to be average or below average at in order to be exceptional at some, something else. And you have to decide what you're going to be exceptional at. And so the uncommon service framework is really a way to break down and say, it's okay to not be the best here. It's okay to be average here, but it's not okay to not be exceptional here. I found that to be an interesting book. I'm writing that down. That's really interesting. Okay. Favorite one day getaway in the Bay Area. I actually keep it relatively simple. I live in San Jose. So a trip over the hill down to Santa Cruz or, or Aptos and is a good day out for me. I was just in Aptos. I love Aptos. Okay, final question of the lightning round. What do you do for fun? I would say a couple of things. I do like to get up and run in the mornings. It's sort of a great way to start the day for me. I normally goal myself with three to four, maybe half marathons on an annual basis. Uh, more than that's a little tough and greater distance than that is actually harder to to schedule as well. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I I enjoy doing that. But I, I think if I if I was to pick, it's probably my scuba diving. I know I'm a avid scuba diver, have been for many, many years. I travel to many different places diving, wreck diving, diving with sharks. Uh, I actually actively look for locations there you can do that. And turned out that my youngest daughter, who's now 15, also has become an avid scuba diver. And just to Hawaii two weeks ago, she uh, got her advanced certification. And when she passed her open water certification, she was only 10 years old and was the youngest certified paddy open water scuba diver in the world at the time. So that's that crazy. Primary. Yeah. She was just 10 years and three months old when she did that. So we get to do a, a daddy daughter fun thing as well. 
That's it for the lightning rounds. Lightning round is brought to you by the lightning platform by Salesforce, leading cloud platform that makes building AI powered apps faster and easier. Building apps is ever in business and you can learn more at salesforce.com slash build apps. All right, final question of the whole shebang here. What technologies are you jealous of that are that are going to be on the not too distant horizon that you're saying, man, I got to be I got to be involved with that in some way? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I if I was to say the thing that probably I stare at the most and watch where it's going is probably sort of the Uber drones or the equivalent of Uber drones. Who makes them is who makes them. But the fact that we as human beings can order a drone to, or a shared, you know, what they call it, a carpool or a Uber X drone that will take us across the city or around the city. I was just in London just a few weeks ago. You know, just the traffic congestion, even with tubes are hot and sweaty and, and, and crammed and, and you, the, you know, the streets are congested. And if I could think about a future where I could just hop in a, you know, a flying drone that would take me across the city from point A to point B. And, you know, I've seen some, you know, the advancements that are being made there and the future of what that looks like. That would be kind of cool to be connected with that. Totally agree. Our view of the Jetsons in 2062 is hopefully coming soon. <laughs> What's it? Any other stuff? Anything else? No, I think we covered a lot of ground in a short period of time there. Yeah, we're going to have to have you back on because that, that, that was great. Thanks so much for hanging out, Paul. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce, a leading cloud platform that makes building AI-powered apps faster and easier. With Salesforce, now everyone can build apps for their organization. Learn more at salesforce.com slash buildapps.